The Lord is risen. Well, it's wonderful to have everyone here to worship with us on this uh, glorious day to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want to welcome all those who are joining us online as well from your homes. This is, the, this is certainly the day to being here, to, to worship our great God, wherever we may be, but worshiping here to celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to uh, make a couple announcements. Uh, one is for those of you who are visiting, if you'd like to know more about our church, if you'll fill out uh, cards, you'll find them in the chairs that are in front of you, and you can uh, just leave them on the chairs, or as you go out, just leave them on a table somewhere, and uh, we'll be glad to get in contact with you to send you information. Also, we have welcome bags uh, back there uh, for you to take home with you. Now, also for uh, the children of our church who are visiting, and uh, we've one of our um, members of our church, Olivia Balfang, uh, made these little felt uh, Easter eggs, and she's made them for you to have. And when you leave, if you didn't already get one, be sure to grab one on your way out, and even uh, parents or even grandparents can take one if you'd like uh, to give to your grandchildren. Now let's uh, prepare our hearts for worship.
Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. We give you praise, our God, for our risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is because he has risen that we come and worship our God. We worship because of him. We worship through him. And we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit whom he has sent to fill our hearts as we lift up our voices of praise and thanksgiving to you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Christ the Lord is risen today.
Amen. Let's uh, be seated. Our confession of faith this morning, we're using the larger catechism. And uh, let me ask you this question. How was Christ exalted in his resurrection? Christ was exalted in his resurrection in that not having seen corruption and death and having the same body in which he suffered really united to his soul, he rose again from the dead the third day by his own power, whereby he declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have vanquished death in him that had the power of it, and to be Lord of quick and dead, all which he did as a public person, the head of his church, for their justification, quickening in grace, support against enemies, and to assure them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. Let's stand again and sing together, Thine be the glory. be seated. 
Let's now pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do give you praise. That you are God the Father in heaven, you are God the Son, who has ascended back into heaven. We give you praise that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, not merely that he is risen from the grave, but that he has ascended on high, that he has entered into heaven, into the temple, into the holy of holies, and offering his own blood on behalf of us, so that we someday may be those who are in heaven ourselves. We give you praise that we celebrate life this day, and that the one who suffered on the cross, the one who died on the cross, overcame death itself, and that it is not death that has the final word, but life, eternal life. We give you praise, our God, and we pray that we, who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, who believe in this resurrection, we truly we will hallow your name this day and honor it, honor you in our very worship uh, this morning, honor you throughout this day, honor you throughout our lives. May we serve your kingdom till the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. May we show forth clearly that we are those who gladly serve the kingdom of our Lord, of our King, Jesus Christ. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that again, in this worship, that we are worshiping according to your will, that you are taking delight in this worship we offer to you. But we pray that throughout our lives, that we would uh, do your will in our actions and our very thoughts, that it is done by your angels, by the saints who have gone before us. Give to us all that we need today, that we may honor you and celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. Feed us with your word. Feed us with the, the hymns that we have been singing. Feed us by one another, as together we are worshiping you. We pray, our Father, for you to forgive our debts, that you would give to us your own heart to be those who easily forgive the debts of others, whatever the sacrifice it might be on our part. How could we not forgive anyone, considering how you have paid such a great price of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us? How can we withhold forgiveness when we have our Lord Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead, we give you praise and thanks. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know our weaknesses, you know our frailties, you know the evil one who ever seeks uh, to lead us away from you. Protect us, continue to draw us back to you. And we make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom. To you belongs all of the power that has been displayed in the resurrection. 
To you belong all of the glory. In Christ's name, amen. be seated. I want to just note, uh, the, the song you just sang uh, was, is premiered here at this church. It was written for uh, our choir by Amy's uh, former music professor, and so we're thankful uh, for that. Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles now, or you'll also find the passage as an insert uh, in your bulletin. Last Sunday, we looked at um, the first half of Psalm 22. And in uh, that passage, we observed, we listened to the agony of our Lord on the cross and noted that Psalm 22 is Jesus' personal psalm of lament. But that's the first half of the psalm. It's not all lament. Now, the second half that we're looking at this morning takes us to Jesus' personal praise and worship. So we're going to pick it back up now. And let me uh, recall what's been happening, where we left off. 
Jesus has cried out to his father. He has complained that you, God, have forsaken me. And then he then describes in detail the, the agony of his soul and body, from the mocking of his enemies to the, the torture, through the, the piercing, uh, through the hanging of a cross, to the, the callous mockery, um, the callousness of the soldiers who are gambling for his clothing at his feet. Now, yet again, he's going to call out to his God. So look with me in 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, twice before in this psalm, Jesus has appealed to God for aid. So this is the third, and it's going to be the final time that he does so. I want you to feel again the anguish he's experiencing there on the cross, that deliver my soul, my precious life. Well, these are terms that we will use when we're trying to describe the deepest parts of us. What is he to be be delivered from? Well, the sword, the power of the dog, the mouth of the lion, the horns of the wild oxen. This is image upon image of violent death that is about to destroy Jesus. And he's calling out to his God, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul, save me. And you feel the horror that Jesus feels. But something happens at the nick of time. Now, to explain what happens, I'm going to rework for you. I'm going to retranslate verse 21 to its more literal Hebrew construction. This is what it more literally says. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen. And then it closes with this word. You answered. Now, let's remember one of the ways that Jesus felt abandoned by God It was God's silence, God's silence to his cries. There was no rescue. There was no answer. Not even a word from the Father to the Son who tried to soothe him in the midst of his agony. Jesus was alone on that cross, or at least he certainly felt alone. But something has happened. Now, I think on the cross itself, but certainly displayed in what would soon take place afterwards. The silent God answered the cries of his son. He did deliver Jesus' soul from from horrible destruction. He died, that's for sure. But as noted in this psalm we looked at last Sunday, it was at least by the hand of his father. So that the same hand into which Jesus would yield his spirit. Death comes, but not destruction not damnation. As yet another psalm will tell us in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The resurrection will take place. God will raise his son as vindication and proof that God, that Jesus accomplished his mission and that he won victory over death. 
All right, now we're going to move from the cross to where any child of God would go after deliverance from death, and that is to the temple where he offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He publicly testifies to the salvation of the Lord. Look with me from 22 to 24. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but is heard when he cried to him. Now again, let me note the setting here. We've moved from the cross. We're now in the temple courts. We're in the midst of the congregation of Israel. And Jesus has called his people to join him to the praise of God. And he rejoices in the reason why. God heard him. He heard him when he had cried to him. He did not hide his face forever. Yes, there had been that time on the cross when God the Father did turn away from the Son, when he would not listen to the cries of the Son. But that time is over. God is heard. God is not despised. He has not abhorred the affliction of the Son. So that time is over. He is heard. He is listened to. And now the Son is celebrating and giving thanks. So let's go on to verses 25 and 26. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All right, we're still at the temple, but now the congregation actually has grown in size. Jesus' testimony is is widening. He's testifying for the Lord's provision for more than just himself, but for all who have been afflicted. And he is saying that they shall eat their fill. What he's referring to here is that this sacrifice of thanksgiving, this ceremony, is also a thanksgiving meal. So if you were had been invited to the ceremony, someone is offering up their sacrifice and they send you an invitation, what you would be attending is a, is a meal, a banqueting table. And so he's now inviting all of those who have been afflicted to be his guest at his table. And is there at the table then that he gives them that blessing, may your hearts live forever. But the testimony widens even more. Look with me, 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So the testimony of the salvation of the Lord and that call to worship him, it's now going beyond that congregation at the temple. It's going beyond the boundaries of Israel. It's going out into the world, even to the ends of the earth. Indeed, it's going to every single nation, to every family, to every clan 
in that nation. The reason why is that that suffering servant on the cross is now the king of the whole world. All right, let's go to verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Now, I've isolated this verse because it's actually a very confusing verse for translators. Kind of depending what Bible you have. It's going to be reword, it's going to be worded a little bit differently. The problem has to do with some textual issues, what should be in there and what should not, and then just trying to understand the Hebrew expressions, what they're actually referring to. But whatever whatever form a translation takes, all the translators are going to agree with the basic message, which is this that everyone whether they're high or they're low, whether they are the powerful and the mighty, whether they are the the weak, everyone will worship the Lord. Everyone will be welcome to this banqueting table. But still, there is more. I'm starting to sound like one of those infomercials, but wait, there's still something more to tell you. Look in 30 and 31. Prosperity shall serve him, It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done. So this promise for God's covenant people Israel and for the Gentiles, for the peoples of all the nation, that they shall come and worship God at his table, now is extended to future generations. Or to put it plainly, The promise now includes us. We're a people yet unborn, of nations unknown to the ancient world. And we can testify that it has been told of the Lord from generation to generation, spreading from nation to nation. Now what specifically are we told is being proclaimed? Look with me again in verse 31. It says what? his righteousness. And that seems odd. I mean, I would have thought the word would be, well, God's deliverance. I mean, that's what's being celebrated is Jesus' deliverance from the cross or deliverance from death. I mean, deliverance or maybe salvation or redemption. I mean, any of these terms seem to fit the context better. But it has righteousness. So let's think about it. What is the real complaint? What was that real complaint at the first half of the psalm? God had forsaken his son. God would not hear. He would not answer his son in the midst of his affliction. God let Jesus' enemies get the best of him. Now the real complaint here, it's not so much that God is indifferent, that he ought to be more compassionate. The real complaint is that God is not just. It's unfair what he is afflicting upon his son. And God's not asleep. He does not slumber. He's not weak. He could have delivered his son from his enemies, from his affliction. He could have done that at any time, but he does not do so. And that raises the question, how can a righteous God allow such injustice? 
But let's think this through further. Suppose God did. He does deliver his son from his enemies. Maybe he does it just before the cross or even while he's on that cross. Jesus is delivered, but then we are not. Our sins remain on us. And we remain under God's just wrath. That is, if God is going to remain a righteous God. And we understand this principle. Look, a judge might waive the crime of a criminal, of a, of a guilty criminal, and just let him go free. And we might regard that judge as, uh, as soft-hearted. We will not regard that judge as just. In the same way, if God is to be righteous, he cannot allow sin to be excused. But then if he's going to choose to be merciful... And then he must come up with a solution in which he can make the sinner righteous while preserving his own righteousness. And that is what God does. And he does it there on the cross. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans 3, 21 to 26. Let me read this to you. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known. This is what he's going to talk about here. To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Okay, now note again, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it, again, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, that's kind of a long, complex passage, but here's the point of it. Paul's just simply saying this. On that cross, Jesus made atonement for our sins. How did he do that? He took on our guilt, placed it upon himself, and he paid for that guilt. He took on our sin. And what we received in turn was his righteousness, which is, by the way, the righteousness of God. So note what this allows God to do. And again, I mean, in our passage, Paul written, twice he points this out. God demonstrates his righteousness. He is able to be just, that is, to remain righteous, while at the same time justifying, that is, make righteous sinners who turn in faith to Jesus. Now, we modern people might think that, like, a great deal of fuss is being made over God maintaining his righteousness. But I assure you that for the Jew... There was nothing more important. Their God is a holy God. 
Not a fairly good God. Not a, well, for the most part, righteous God. God is holy. Now, God is love. That's, that's true. But even as a loving God, he cannot compromise his holiness and righteousness. So even as he saves sinners, he has to save them in a way that demonstrates his righteousness and not diminish it. Now, one other matter in our text says uh, something else is going to be proclaimed. Look with me again. It says that he had done it. Think for a moment. Where have you heard a similar expression? Well, it's on the cross. It's when Jesus said, it is finished. He did, did it. Jesus accomplished our salvation while honoring the righteousness of God. And God did deliver him. Now, not before death, but after death. And indeed, that's why we're here this morning. To worship our God who has delivered his son from the dead, who has delivered his righteous son. And the resurrection tells us that the work of atonement was completed. He has done it. Jesus has been vindicated, and he lives, Jesus lives, to testify to the righteousness of God. Now let's consider for a moment what uh, we learn from this resurrection. First of all, the cross and the resurrection together teach us about God's righteousness, what we've just talked about, but also ours. You see, our fundamental problem is that we are not righteous. We are sinners, and as such, we cannot enter into the presence of a righteous God. That's what's displayed on that cross, the holy righteousness of God and our sin condition. But it also became the instrument to preserve God's righteousness while at the same time changing us from the status of sinners to those who have been made righteous. In the resurrection, furthermore, it vindicates Jesus' work there on the cross. And it depicts for us our own destiny. We too shall be raised from the dead. And that time will come when Christ returns. And we will be raised to complete righteousness in body and soul. We're not simply going to be let out of jail we will be made new so that we will never, think about this, we will never sin, ever. Not even have a sinful thought. That is what awaits us. And if salvation is offered throughout the earth to all who will believe, whether they be Jew, members of God's original covenant people, or Gentile, which is everyone else, whether they be counted among the the powerful and the wealthy or among the lowest. It's wherever they live. It may be in the Middle East. It might be in the, the jungles of South America. They may be those who have come with great church credentials or they're from the wildest gangs. This salvation is for all, for all who shall believe in the one who hung on the cross. That he, that he who hung there was God the Son. And he hung there bearing 
their curse, their penalty for their sin. Again, as the passage from Romans says, all, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the question is, can you accept that verdict for yourself? Not for your neighbor, not looking at anyone else, but for you. If you can, then you have what it takes for the next step. And that's simply turn to Jesus for your salvation. To call upon his name to save you. It really is that simple. And individuals from all walks of life, living in every area of the world throughout the centuries since that resurrection will attest to this, to those who have called upon his name. Now let's turn our focus back to Jesus for a moment. Now I noted how in the second half that the scene uh, changes and it depicts Jesus at the temple. But we know that Jesus, as far as we understand, he never did return to the temple in Jerusalem. And those of you who have journeyed with me through the book of Hebrews, you know the temple to where he did return. It's the temple of heaven, on which the temple on earth is just but a model of. And that great congregation in which Jesus stands, it, it does include all of us here on earth who believe in him. But even more notably, right now it includes the heavenly host of angels, It includes all the saints who have gone before us into heaven. Jesus has entered into heaven, into the temple, into the holy of holies. And he is offered there on our behalf his own blood. He has gone there to open the way for us into that temple before the presence of God. We are welcomed to the heavenly banquet table. And someday, you know, right now we we talk about this and we kind of in a spiritual way, we, we think of ourselves being up there. Someday we shall sit at that table with our resurrected, with our resurrected bodies in that new earth that will be redeemed at Jesus' return. We shall sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those great saints we read about in the Bible, and we will sit there with unknown brothers and sisters who have lived their lives in obscurity. For all who believe in Jesus will sit with him at the great feast. And finally, you know, our psalm here leaves Jesus offering praise to God, his Father. And he's thankful. He's thankful that God did indeed hear and answer his cries on the cross. But that's not the full story. The full story is that Jesus himself is exalted. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 eloquently explains. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And this is taking place right now, even in heaven. Listen to the worship of Jesus that is taking place. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a long passage, but it's a glorious passage. This is from Revelation 5. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus proved himself worthy by his sacrifice on the cross. God the Father exalted him as worthy by raising him from the dead. Let us on this Easter morning, on this day of the resurrection, acknowledge him as worthy of all of our praise and the devotion of our lives. Christ is risen. We give you praise, our God, for the risen Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have indicated and whom you have exalted far above all other things. We give you praise that he dwells in heaven even now. Even now he is our high priest and he's interceding for us, for his work is not done till he shall return again in all of his glory. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You'll stand, and we're going to sing, Is He Worthy? And uh, as you feel that, just we're going to sing all the words of this song, and, uh, which is based on the passage that I've just read. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you.
Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.